In a moment, we're going to read from Luke chapter 4. But before we do that, we understand from what we read of God and of humanity in the scriptures that we have these defects which are caused by sin. In fact, our humanity has become a subhumanity. The humanity that we live now is not the humanity with which God created us. We're created in the image of God, but that image has become marred. It's become marred through our own own and mankind's deliberate resistance to God and sometimes deliberate deliberate disobedience and, and rejection of God. And all of us have become marred not only by our own sin over the past, though some sins are greater than others in terms of the effect they have on others, they're not greater than, they're not greater than the effect they have on the sinner themselves. And some of us have also been marred by the sins of others. And we have been affected by and crushed sometimes by what other people have done and the way they've treated us, the unfairness and the inequalities and the, and the injustices that we've faced and uh, the cruelty or the bullying and so on. So we have all been marred. Now we know defects have been turned into perfect and not that we are yet perfect. The scripture acknowledges that. Nobody here would claim to be perfect and if you do claim to be perfect, ouch, I want to avoid you. We're not yet perfect. But what has happened is that God, who created us in his image, has himself worked out this means of saving us, redeeming us from the consequences of our own faults and defects and sin. Not only from our own sin, but also slowly redeeming us from the effects that other persons' sins have upon us, cumulatively, sometimes over time. God has sent Christ his Son, now, we've looked, at, we've looked at Psalm 113 recently. We've seen that the God who sits upon the heavens looks far down upon the earth and reaches even further down, as it were, to lift us up from the ash heap. Almighty God has done this. And he's done it through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the arm of the Lord reaching down and lifting up. And we saw over three weeks that the Spirit is the one who animates the action of God in Jesus, who makes the Word live so that it has its good effect in us. And we don't have three gods, we have one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, who is reaching down. And one God has come to ransom us, to redeem us, to to deliver us, to free us from the consequences of that sin, ours and the combined sins that's fallen upon us. He's done that. And when we trusted in him, what Jesus did, when we trusted in Jesus, Jesus reunited us with God the Father because that was God's intention. Originally we had relationship with him, but that relationship was lost. And Jesus has reignited, reconnected us with God in that relationship. We're not yet perfect, but we are being changed. And that's where this reading comes in. It's Luke chapter 4. You have to understand that Jesus has been baptised by John in the River Jordan and then he's been led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted for six weeks by the devil. And now he's returned in the power of the Spirit. And we begin reading, it's um, verse 14 of Luke 4 and read as far as verse 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in the synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. 
And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on them, and he began saying to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. Do hear in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any one of them, but to a widow in Sarapheth, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed. Only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Jesus doesn't play to the gallery. And he didn't come to be a men pleaser. And the fact that he's come to be a deliverer and a rescuer doesn't necessarily always make him popular. He's come on God's purpose. And the relationship into which he is restoring us with God we have to remember, is an unequal relationship. God is almighty. He is by nature everlasting, in a way that you and I will never be able to understand. We can't get our minds round God. He is eternal. From the moment of our creation, the relationship was real, but it is an unequal relationship. Creator, creature. Creator who loves the creature, who is invited into fellowship in a most extraordinary and gracious way. That hasn't changed. We do get pally with God, but God, well, Amos said the lion has roared, didn't he? God can be a roaring lion sometimes. He can be a strong enemy if we're not careful. But he is this gracious and loving God, nevertheless, who has reached far down 
to lift us up from our own pits and brings us into a relationship which is not an equal one, but which is an awesome, grace-filled relationship. We are so privileged and astonished and surprised and amazed that we should be allowed to have fellowship with the living God. And all the time, he is in the business of rescuing us from the various messes that we ourselves or life has got us into. So, Jesus quotes Isaiah 61. He says, he's come to preach good news to the underprivileged, to those who don't have means, who are the least in society, the poor. I doubt if any of us among the poor, but we don't talk to very, uh, each other very much about those sort of things, so you might be among the poor. Welcome, says Jesus. Forgotten, sidelined, disregarded, trampled in the rush. Jesus comes to bring good news to you. God is reaching far down. And Jesus is the arm of the Lord. And in the power of the Spirit, he's going to make God's reconciliation real for you. Doesn't matter what other people do to you. God says... I'm here for you. That's extraordinary good news. He comes to release the captives, those who have been brought into or led away in captivity, prisoners taken by force, those who are the spoils of war, and to release them, give deliverance to them, or forgiveness, bring them into liberty, remission. Now, it wouldn't surprise me if you were speaking openly about your daily lives, if quite a lot of you feel that you haven't been captured and taken by force by those who are over you. And in your job, you have just become the workaday slave. And you feel like you are a captive to forces you can't change And in many degrees, your conscience would find it difficult to change. I know you're there. And so does God. And God is not absent from your life. Jesus has said, lo, I've come, look, I'm here for you. And I'm here somehow to bring you release. Now, I haven't had the busy lives that many of you guys have, but being a minister at times can be hectic, hairy, annoying, and drive you almost to paranoia. I've been through several of those times in my nearly 40 years as a minister. And what I do, I get a bit of paper. And when I'm going through those times, I'm not always the most gracious of people, I can be grumpy, and I've clawed back once or twice. I'm not proud of it, but I've done it. And I got my bit of paper, and I write in very small writing. And with a black pen, I start by confessing all my sins. I really wish so-and-so dead. 
I just did not want to go to that meeting. All the swear words of my past life came up and I wanted to shout them at so-and-so because they're being so aggravating and annoying and unreasonable and unfair. Now then, I'm sorry, if you don't expect ministers to act like that, I am a defective but being transformed person just like you. And it's just that God has told me to stand at the front and tell people about him. And I write all these things down and I, I cover over them and write over them and over them and over them until sometimes there's nothing but a black squadge. And I tell God everything. Absolutely everything. And it normally ends up by saying, God, help. I don't work out my priorities. I can't see my way through these relationships. I don't know what decisions we're supposed to make on this. I just do not know. Now, of course, in the business world, that's extreme weakness, isn't it? You're supposed to know. You're up the front. You're the minister. You do it. You lead. But I want you to know that I'm a defective human being, and I think a good few of you are too. And you have your own private hells that you work through. But Jesus says that he has come to release captives. And I always found release through doing that with him. Because I found that when I'd thrown everything onto him and then opened myself to him, I found that priorities began to get sorted out. Phone calls came and things which were so urgent yesterday don't have to be done at all. Because God is the manager of the world and he began to settle things and release me I still had to say sorry to a few people and I still had to do my part but Jesus has come to do this. He's to come to set at liberty those who are oppressed, those who have been crushed as in a trauma it can be translated. The unkindness or unthinking comments of Christians can be a great crusher of Christian faith. Not a few of you have suffered that. It may not even be that the other people were being unkind. They might have been being extremely zealous. But for you, it was just too much and it squashed you. Or like the African lady that I'm teaching to read or helping to read, who is well into her 30s and has never read English because when she was at school, her teacher terrorised her. And from that moment on, she's never been able to contemplate learning English until now. Or the friend of mine who was so scared to go into hospital just for a hernia operation a few years ago, who begged me to pray with him that God would heal him which seemed to me to be a bit weird because I thought hernia operations were quite straightforward. He just didn't want to go into hospital. So we began to pray and as we prayed, he had a flashback to a time when he was nine, something which just so traumatised him, an experience in hospital that he'd been fearful of hospitals ever since. And we prayed for that. And in his own words, he went laughing into hospital for his operation. Do you see, 
we can be squashed by so many things. And I think of that, when I read this, the having been crushed ones, and Jesus saying that he's come to release them, I think of that jackboot going down on the delicate daisy and marching on. And that daisy is there crushed in the grass. But somehow or another, the sap creeps up through it and it's still got a few scars on it. But the next day, if we were to pick that daisy out, we'd see it holding its head up to the sun again. Perhaps a bit crinkled, but holding its head up to the sun. Jesus says he's come to do this with our lives. Now the problem may be for people like ourselves, and I can only speak for myself, really, is we're very competent and don't like admitting our weaknesses and our needs. And many's the time I've said, oh, that's all right, I can handle this. I'll sort this one out. But the aggravation has gone deeper and I haven't sorted out because whatever it is, the crushing or the, the hurt or the, or the sin of someone else, it's, it's created bitterness in me or a desire for payback or perhaps I sort of entered into some kind of jealous attitude and the thing is I can't handle it myself I need a saviour who is almighty so I have to hand it over to him Now then maybe it's a time to wake up for us. Maybe it's time to wake up and open our eyes and say, yeah, I know what I think about church, I know what I think about Christians, I know what I think about life, but God's exactly the same as he always was. And Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim, proclaim, freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed to proclaim the favourable year of the Lord now you see if all I'm doing is preaching a sermon this becomes theology if all I'm doing is teaching you history this is what Jesus said But after Christ died for us, God raised him from the dead and poured out his spirit on us. And Jesus promised, I'm with you always. So this is a history which isn't closed. Something which was fulfilled in its beginning on a day in the hearing of these people in Nazareth is still going on because as Hebrews says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we can't be pompous about it. We can't be proud about it and try and do it ourselves. We do have to play our part, you know. This is a relationship. He's promised to do things for us. But we have to play our part. Isaiah 40, I love this. Some of you need to hear this. Verse 
Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But haven't you heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk through the tedium and not faint. But you see, Jesus who's come to be our saviour can't save us if we don't first put our hope in him, can he? And the danger is that some of you have lost hope in him. Let him restore that hope today. He is the same God, the same saviour, the one you first trusted in. So we have to put our hope in him. We actually have to come to him. It's this pride thing. God, I cannot do it on my own. I really do need you. I must cast my burden upon you. Otherwise I will not be sustained. I must take Peter's advice and cast my care upon you, Lord, because you care about me. And casting our care on him is being totally frank with God. We don't do the Psalms justice when we only sing the good ones. We never sing the laments. In my life, I put a couple of laments to music. Psalm laments. And in my life, I, I put something to Finlandia. And when I was really down and going through it, I used to sing this psalm to Finlandia. Because it was a lament. But this is how I feel, God. And if we look at the Psalms and see that it's men speaking to God and they're just being real, some of them are so angry they'd like to dash the enemy's children to bits. They're just saying how they're feeling. The Spirit isn't saying that's the right way to feel. <laughs> and that's how we feel. We have to cast our care upon the Lord and really be honest with him. And then he can do something for us and touch our lives by his spirit in ways that will just blow our minds. We have to cast our stuff on him. That's what it says, cast your burden upon the Lord. There it is, Lord. That seems shocking to me to do that to Jesus, except that's exactly what happened, you know, on the cross. What do you suppose was happening upon the cross? The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. My jealousy, your anger, somebody else's lust, all these things. Can't you see that? That is already hammered into Christ. Shocking as it seems to cast these things onto him, he has already taken them on board. 
And all we're doing is coming into line with his death and his purpose in dying and saying, God, rescue me from this. I need your help. And sometimes we just have to confess. I would like to think that all the problems I've had have been because other people have caused them for me. (laughs) Trouble is, quite a lot of other people think their problems have been caused by me. We are being changed by the grace of God. And we have to make our confessions. Because Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, verse 21, It's from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, Greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. And sometimes for God to work, if I can use the word, his magic in us, we have to begin by confessing and forsaking things. But we know that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness because he has already accomplished the means on the cross. And you are already pardoned in his sight. He has already perfected you in Jesus. He's just changing us from one degree of glory into another. And he wants to change you some more. And he wants to change me some more. So somebody said one time, not long ago, the church needs to be re-evangelized. That's what I trust Jesus is doing today. Re-evangelizing me and re-evangelizing you. And at the end of this service, I'll be out here. I've asked Pete to be out here. And if you want prayer, then we will pray with you. If you just want to talk things and just, just want to open your heart, do that. If you don't want to say what the thing is, but you just want somebody to pray with you, we'll pray with you. Because what's the point of preaching it if we don't give God a chance to do it?